Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, <clears throat> we are, oops, is that the best that does, huh? That's sun, that's tough. Well, you can always move over. It's up to you entirely. I just saw that, I thought, whoa, I hate being in a restaurant when the sun's you know, right on your eyes. Oh, it just, they just glow? They just glow. Actually, it's on your beard, Dan. It's looking good, man. <laughs> okay, uh, this is the book that I'm using. I'm not sure you can actually get it. What it is, uh, Faith Tried and Triumphant, it's two books in one. It, uh, these two books were originally published at different times. Uh, the one on Habakkuk in 1953. Wow. And the other one in 1965. Half of us here were not even born in 65, right? But then Mr. Catherwood and Baker Book, you know, they put it together into one. I'm glad they did. So we're going to be looking at the first. We're going to be looking at both, both sides, both books in one. The first one is on the book of Habakkuk. And the second one is on Psalm 73. And uh, both of those are just really good. This morning we're looking at Habakkuk. Welcome to Habakkuk. Now Habakkuk, you know, if you wanted to reduce it down to one word, it would be the word why. Why, why, why? Why are things happening the way they are? That's what Habakkuk the prophet is is wondering about. Did you, if you all, I hope you all got the handouts. There's handouts back there. I think there's still some more there. But help yourself if you haven't. Anybody need one? Okay. Uh, thank you, Darren. Um, uh, why? Yes. And uh, there's many things that happen that we ask why about. Um, sometimes we get a bad attitude about God and we wonder, why did God let this happen to me? Why me? Why now? Why in this particular way? Uh, some of you are aware of, you know, the Lamars. They moved down south of uh, Nashville. I think they're in the Franklin area. And they are part of a new church down there. It's called the Church with No Name. That's serious. Serious. Unless they, put, unless they give it a name. Right now it's the Church with No Name. You heard about the horse with no name. This is the church with no name. Um, so anyway, um, Michael Easley's a pastor there, and he, he, is, he used to be up at Moody. He was president of Moody for a time, and then he went down there. He was pastoring another church. Things didn't work out very well, and so now he started, they've started this other church. Actually, they're meeting, I think, in Dave Ramsey's meeting area there, uh, down there in Franklin. But anyway, he has this thing every... I think it's weekly, it's called In Context, and so a couple weeks ago he interviewed a couple, and their names are Daniel and Jessica Hurd, maybe you've heard of this story, but uh, David and Jessica, um, Jessica was working as a teacher, I believe, he was working as doing something else, they had two children, I believe it was a two and a three-year-old, two and a three-year-old, I believe that's what it was, very young, anyway... Um, he got a call from their nanny that was taking care of the children 
And little William was choking on a piece of chicken from the chicken soup. And long story short, he died. He died. And they took him to the hospital and um, just could not, somehow they couldn't get that piece of chicken out. They tried the Heimlich maneuver and so on. But anyway, um, these are the kind of things that happen in a fallen world. How do you handle it? How do you see God in something like that? Why? Precious little boy. They're both believers, the parents. And uh, there's actually a video of the little boy as he's growing older uh, online. It's kind of sad to watch because we know. But then again, they, uh, they had a good attitude about, um, about God and about why. So, I'm sure you're familiar with things. I mean, I think about, was that Molly, the girl that was out walking in Iowa, and all of a sudden she disappears. I feel for parents like that, how horrible that would be. I don't know anything about their their faith, if they have faith in Christ or not, but anyway, uh, why? So, we're going to talk about that in the next number of weeks. We got about, I think we got about six weeks in Habakkuk. See, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, six weeks in Habakkuk and the remainder in Psalm 73. So let's get into it here. Um, And hopefully now, if I lag behind with the slides, somebody just go hit the new slide, something. Just tell me, because I haven't done this for a long time. I used to be really good at this, but I haven't done it for so long. I'm really rusty at it. So... Anyway, I'm glad I can see that up there. Anyway, here we are. We're in Habakkuk. Um, I mean, you're welcome to turn there if you, if you want to. Um, who is Habakkuk? Well, his name means embraced, embrace or wrestle. Not that that means anything, except you can draw a spiritual principle from it that Habakkuk wrestled with God. He wrestled with God. He wrestled with what are you doing, God? Why are you doing this, God? And so you kind of see that, that application, at least, from his name, Habakkuk. Uh, what, what was he? He was a minor prophet. How many minor prophets are there? Is this a Bible church? <laughs> How many minor prophets are there? Do what? Joel. Amen. Joel's one of them. There's 12 minor prophets. I'm not even sure how many major prophets are there, four or something. But the question is, why are they called minor prophets? If you look in your table of contents, you'll see it's minor prophets. You know why they're called minor? Because they're short. It's like, duh. (laughs) It's not that their message isn't important. Their messages are all, I mean, but it's because they're short. So they're called, he's called, his is a minor prophet. Now, when did he uh, practice his prophetic giftedness and calling here to Israel, actually to Judah? And it was in 605 B.C. And now we need a real quick history lesson from the Old Testament. I haven't done the Bible walkthrough for a while, but if you remember it, this will bring bring back some uh, memories here. Uh, You always want to look at the Old Testament after Solomon The kingdom split in 931 B.C. And then in 722 is when the Assyrians... Let me go to the next... eh. Okay, wait a minute. Let's make sure you know you're here. 
you are here, okay? Uh, significant dates in our history, right? Habakkuk is in Jerusalem, along with Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zephaniah, Daniel, and I'm not, I don't think any others. Those were the later prophets, the later prophets. Jeremiah, you know, he's telling, his, he's telling Judah to submit to the Babylonians, remember that? And uh, Daniel and Ezekiel, they're taken captive by the Babylonians, but uh, we're, I'm getting ahead of my story. Now, notice Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. These are the major players in this time period. In, during the Old Testament, after the kingdom splits, Assyria came down in 722 and took the northern kingdom captive. The ten tribes of the northern kingdom captive. Now, 722. Hezekiah is king in the south. Just to throw this in real quick here. Hezekiah was king in the south, in Judah. And the Assyrians were determined to come down. They came and got from the north. They came down to Jerusalem bad-mouthing God. <laughs> That's what they were doing, blaspheming God and saying, we're going we're gonna to take you over. You, and Hezekiah went with Isaiah and prayed to God and asked God for deliverance from these wicked Assyrians. And guess what happened? One morning there were 185,000 Assyrian soldiers and the Bible says, and they woke up and behold, they were all dead. Yes, they woke up and behold. That's what it says. You can, you can look it up. It's right there. I forget where I have it. It's there somewhere. It's just a kind of a humorous. But, but literally, God answered Hezekiah's prayer. And the angel of the Lord went out and smote 185,000 Assyrians. And the leader, the king of Assyria went back home. And, and his, I think his sons killed him, maybe smothered him or something. Anyway, so that... So Assyria, now they're a powerful nation up there. As you can see, it's the Tigris and Euphrates River. They're up there in the north, Nineveh, part of that. Uh, as time goes, 722, then we come to 586. 586. Um, so what happens here is, and here's where Habakkuk comes in. Babylon rises up in power... And uh, Egypt is powerful. And so Egypt comes up. This is now we're in the... Remember good king Josiah? He was a good king, but after him they were all lousies. Yeah, bad kings. The bad kings are in power now. We're down close to 605 B.C. And uh, Egypt comes up. Egypt comes up. And Egypt wants to fight Babylon because Babylon with nasty Neb, the king of Babylon, uh, they're, they're branching out and they're conquering and they're going and they're following the fertile croissant right along. You can see coming up there. And so here comes Egypt. Now, as Pharaoh Necho is heading toward Carchemish, which is a very important battle in, in world history. Uh, Josiah goes out to, um, am I getting this straight? Josiah is in Jerusalem. Yes, I think I am. Josiah gets killed. 
by King Necho, King Necho of, of uh, Egypt. But anyway, uh, so the Egyptians meet the Babylonians at Carchemish. It's called the Battle of Carchemish. And that's when the Egyptians are smashed by the Babylonians. Have you ever seen World War II documentaries of Germany invading a nation and just smashing everything in their path? That's exactly what the Babylonians were like. They just smashed the enemy. No mercy at all. In fact, if I remember correctly, hardly any of the Egyptian soldiers that went up and met the Babylonians of Carchemish, hardly any of them made their way back home again. So powerful are the Babylonians. Now that is the historical context of um, Habakkuk. Where is he? He's in the southern kingdom, 605. Uh, a little bit after the Battle of Carchemish, because the Babylonians are rising up. There's, there's uh, knowledge of the Babylonians, southern kingdom. Uh, how is, what's he doing? Well, he is, and if you will notice in your, if you have a Bible, I'm going to turn to Habakkuk, because we will be reading some, some from it here. My biggest problem is going to pace myself this morning. Let's see, where is it? There it is. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. That word oracle, you'll notice in your margin, it says burden. Burden. The message that these, and many of them use that word oracle, or the burden of the Lord. The, the message from God, from God to these prophets to give to the people was a heavy message. A burden. They carried this burden of, of, of a message to the people. So that's what he's doing. A revelation from God. And then why is he doing this? Or, or why? I'm just using these questions here. Why? And that's the question. You know, what is happening, Lord? And that's what Habakkuk is going to be um, dealing with here. What's happening, Lord, with these Chaldeans? We're hearing about these Chaldeans, and they've even come already. What is going on? Um, let's see if I've got anything else here. Uh, the Babylonians, 605 B.C. Now, in, okay, 605 B.C. Now, in 586 B.C., so that would be 86, 96, 606, so 19 years later, from 605, 19 years later, Babylon is going to utterly demolish Jerusalem. In, the, in those 19 years, or in that time frame, that's when Daniel's taken over to Babylon as a captive. Ezekiel's taken over. About 10, I think about 10,000 Jewish um, young people are taken over to Babylon as captives and take them over there. Yeah. And, and part of the amazing thing is that all of these conquests are prophesied in these minor prophets. Yeah. The fall of Egypt as punishment from God yeah. is prophesied in Ezekiel. Yes. That is. That's, I mean, absolutely. Even this is prophesied. The Babylonians coming in. Of course, Habakkuk is prophesying about it. Because they haven't come yet when Habakkuk... They haven't demolished Jerusalem when Habakkuk is, speak, is preaching here. But they're coming. It's like... 
And uh, the problem is the people of Israel are not repenting. We'll see that in a minute here. Okay, let's go on here. Um, this is from MacArthur's uh, reference guide to the Bible, quick reference guide to the Bible. It was very helpful. Uh, he's just kind of summarizing what Habakkuk's about. It's just not fair. How many of us have heard this? It's not fair that this little boy choked on that chicken. What? My goodness, his whole life, he's gone. What's up with that, you know? Um, and um, this is MacArthur's comments here. Arguments between friends, within families, between nations often boil down to an issue of fairness. One of the unwritten basic assumptions about life is that it ought to be fair. This assumption leads us into dangerous territory when it comes between us and God. Is God not being fair? Is God being a bully? Is he being a bully in your life? Is he good? Is he good? That's a that's really bottom line question. Is he good to you? Is he a good God? Uh, Habakkuk asked God two very familiar questions about fairness. Why aren't things fair, God? And then why don't you do something when things aren't fair, God? Because things aren't fair. Guess what? The Jews were wicked, but they weren't nearly as wicked as the Babylonians. So it would be fair for God to strike the Babylonians and let the Jews get off. Because they're worse than we are. We may have some problems, but they really have problems. Okay, now we go into more directly um, Martin Lloyd-Jones notes here. He has this divided up into a couple of things here. The mystery of historical processes. What does that mean? The mystery of historical processes. What he's talking about here is um, he, he compares it to the problem of science. Back in the 1800 or 1800s, 19th century, science was the big issue, and is evolution true? Is it not true? And it still is there now, but you know we're not we're not worried about evolution. We we know that God created everything. But what about history? History, the the the. the um, the mystery of historical processes. Why do things happen the way they do? Why are things in this world, thinking of the globe, why does everything happen the way it does? And historically, for the most part, world history is one war after another, right? We just pause long enough to reload, and then we go at it again. Why? What's going on here? What, what's this historical process all about? And uh, so the theme of the Bible, says uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, is not only our personal salvation, but the condition and destiny of the entire world. You know, I look at it like this. The, the church is not a sideshow in this world. The church is the main show. All that goes on in history is around somehow connected with and not out of God's control. You know, World War I didn't happen and God was taken by surprise. It's all part of God's plan. You cannot understand history without the Bible and God. Uh, and really, uh, here's a helpful thing to think about as a Christian. Think about history, think about the Bible, think about the broad sweep of the Bible, you think about creation, the fall, redemption, consummation. That is the broad sweep of the Bible. Of course, God is before 
creation and we're with God in eternity. But those are the four things that, that uh, make up what the Bible teaches us. And uh, here's a quote, nothing that occurs in history. Do I have this up? Yeah, there it is. Nothing that occurs in history fails to find a place in the divine program. See, that's, here's the thing. We just want to be so steeped in the providence, the sovereign providence of God. There are no chance happenings. I mean, we just spent a summer uh, studying the invisible hand of God. There are no chance happenings. Habakkuk is about now the perplexity of one man as he faces this problem of history. Why, is thi- why are things happen the way they are? Habakkuk is a mirror reflecting the struggle within the souls of God's people, the perplexities, questions, God's answers. They all stretch the mind and the theology of God's people then and now. Why do things happen the way they do? What is this all about? You know, I just have been, I'm not finished yet, but I've really been focusing on World War I, watching some documentaries, and uh, it's just, why did that all happen? You know, one guy shot one guy over there in Serbia or somewhere, and pretty soon everybody's declaring war on everybody else, and before you know it, we've got four years of trench warfare, We've got Germany developing cooler and slicker ways of killing people. You know, bullets, bombs, uh, gas, flamethrowers, Big Bertha. You know, you need to know about Big Bertha. Created, designed by a guy, I think his name was Krupp in Germany. Big Bertha. It could throw a ton bullet from our house in Newburgh and have it crash right here in the church and it could penetrate 40 feet of concrete it was called Big Bertha after his wife I wonder if she was excited about that but and then and then we have the beginning of airplanes dropping bombs I mean we're just really good at knowing learning how to kill people and then you have the epidemics remember I don't know if you know but I I was very ignorant about the uh, flu pandemic in 1918, in fact, this is a 100-year anniversary of the flu pandemic that killed more American soldiers by the flu than by battle. There were like 48,000 American soldiers killed in World War I by, in battle, 50-some thousand by the flu. They were carting people out of cities. They couldn't keep up with it. One lady talks about how a man went in his house in Philadelphia one night They carried him out the next morning. I mean, an eighth of the world population a hundred years ago was killed by the flu epidemic. Stuff like that. that You know, we just live so much right now, but amazing. What's going on here? Why is God letting this kind of stuff happen? There's a whole lot more. Uh, Why did God allow this? Okay. Uh, I think in your notes, I'm not sure if you have this or not. Do you have this? Why did God allow this spiritual decline? Yeah, in verse, uh, what is that, verse 2? He says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not, you do not save. The prophet, what's the prophet seeing here? Right here, he's seeing his own people. He's seeing rampant corruption. 
rampant corruption. One commentator gave a list of all of the characteristics of the corruption, namely immorality, greed, deception, hatred, injustice, hypocrisy, oppression, personal pleasure, self-promotion. Sound familiar? And, and Habakkuk's wanting God to bring a revival, to bring, an, to bring conviction to his people because they're going further and further away from God. That's what's happening. His, perplex, his perplexity was, um, yeah, why did God allow this spiritual decline? He'd been praying and God didn't seem to hear. How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? That's verse 2. Uh, when God did answer his prayers, it was in an altogether unexpected way. In verse 6, notice, For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. God is raising up, God is raising up these wicked, violent, vicious people. These Chaldeans, these Babylon, that's the same as Babylon. Chaldeans and Babylonians, same thing. And the prophet, this is his perplexity. He's overwhelmed. His faith is sorely tried. If you jump down to verse 13, we're not going to get there this morning, but <clears throat> your eyes are too pure to approve evil. God, why are you letting this happen to your people? And you... Oh, look among the... Na now, that's God talking. Okay. Look... Be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days. Yeah, that you, that you wouldn't believe. And I think, I think uh, Paul quotes that in Acts 13. Exactly. Yeah. Because we don't know what God's doing. But he tells us right there. He's telling them right there through Habakkuk. So Habakkuk, why, why do you look with favor? Why, when will you stop it? And so you have the strangeness then. Why do you look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Now we come to the strangeness of God's ways. Strangeness. And that's what's, uh, Dan, your, your reference to verse 5, it comes in. God often seems silent and inactive in the midst of horrific circumstances. Why is God so indifferent? Why don't you do something, God? And God's answers to our prayers are sometimes totally unexpected. He doesn't follow our agenda. Let's see, I want to read verses 1 to 4. We already read verses 1 and 2, so look at verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Now he's talking about his own people right there. Strife exists and contention arises. Therefore the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore justice comes out perverted. Why, Lord, are you letting this happen? Well, his ways are often mysterious. We're going to kind of summarize these in principles. God's ways are often mysterious. He often seems strangely silent. Why doesn't he talk? Why doesn't he say something? His, he's strangely silent and inactive in the midst of horrific circumstances. Why is God so indifferent? 
Why is God indifferent? God's answers to our prayers are sometimes totally unexpected. He doesn't follow our agenda. We don't order God around. God answered John Newton's prayer for a better spiritual life, but it was very unexpected. Sometimes God lets things become worse before they become better. (laughs) That's not exactly comforting, but in your handout you have the uh, poem by John Newton. God's answers to our prayers are sometimes totally unexpected. I'm going to read this. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace. Good prayer. Might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. Twas he who taught me thus to pray, and he, I trust, has answered prayer. But it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored hour at once he'd answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. Been feeling that lately? The hidden evils of your heart? And let the angry powers of hell assault my soul in every part. Yea, more, with his own hand, he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, blasted my gourds, and laid me low. What are gourds? I have no idea. They, they look like zucchini, but they're... Lord, why is this? I trembling cried. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way, the Lord replied, I answer prayer for grace and faith. These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thine all in me. From self and pride to set thee free. We would just like to say, I want to be really spiritual and great and... That's not how God works. By the way, uh, Johnny Erickson quotes from this in her talk that she gave at the Awakening uh, Conference in March down in in the Ligonier Conference. And um, I'm going to be showing that somewhere, probably maybe on the sixth week of our study this morning. It's so good. But there's Johnny, you know, she's looking for help and... um, She has to learn to see God in the pain. See God in the pain. Okay. God sometimes uses strange instruments to correct his people. Babylon was cruel. Now, let's go back to where Dan took us to. Verse 5. Look among the nations. Observe. Be astonished. Wonder. Because I'm doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. Behold, I am raising up the, uh, the Chaldeans. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. You're getting a a picture here of ancient warfare, ancient armies. This, in this case, the Babylonians. Their horsemen come galloping. 
Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings, and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at every fortress and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But they will be held, says God. Now, watch this. Here they come. They're God's instrument of discipline on his people in Jerusalem. They're God. God raised them up to do this, to come and punish the Jews Take them captive for 70 years. But they will be held guilty. They whose strength is their God. That is amazing. One of the commentators categorized the Babylonian army as hostile, haughty. Verse 6, hostile. Verse 7, haughty. They feared no one. Incredibly arrogant. Verse 8, hasty. Verse 9, harmful. Verse 10, hardened. And verse 11, hell-bent on destroying everything in their path. And yet, and yet, a tool in God's hands. Could that happen in America? And it is happening in a sense. I mean, everything is in God's hand. But... Uh, not that we obviously want anything like this to happen, but God raises enemies of his people up. What are some of the enemies of the church that he's raised up? We think it's out of hand, out of God's control. No, it's not. I mean, what about a man like Darwin or a man like Karl Marx or a man like Sigmund Freud with all of the secularization going on? All these things that are anti-gospel. Why would God be raising these things up? Because he's in charge. He could stop it. He could stop it at any moment. But he's using these things. Why is he using them? I mean, go ahead. For his good pleasure. How about for us? To get us humbled. Yes, to drive us to himself. I read uh, Thomas Watson has a great little book on uh, Romans 8, 28. And uh, God uses evil for good. All things work together for good. God uses evil. And he has a, like a ton of illustrations of that. But one of them is like an iron rod that you put in the fire. It's bent. You put it in the fire to straighten it. We're the rod the fire are the enemies. God has us in his hand. He wants to straighten us. When things don't go well, when we get that bad message from the doctor, whatever's going on, it's designed to bring repentance, to get us to get back with God. Maybe we've gotten too comfortable. Comfort can be a real problem. All right, let's, let's go on here. Um, God's ways... God sometimes uses strange instruments. The straight, strangeness of God's ways. God's ways are often misunderstood. And I think I have three areas here. This is right from Martin Lloyd-Jones. By careless religious people. Be astonished, in verse 5, once again. Be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something your days you would not believe if you were told. 
Go back to Acts chapter 13 for a second, for a minute. Acts chapter 13. Here's Paul. He's preaching to Jews uh, on that, let's see, first missionary journey, I believe it was. Acts 13, 40 to 41. Yeah. Hey, starting in verse 38, Acts 13, 30. Therefore, Paul says, let it be known to you, brethren, that through Christ, through him, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and through him, everyone who believes is freed from all things in which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. Therefore, verse 40, take heed, so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. And now he quotes from Habakkuk, Behold, you scoffers and marvel, I am accomplishing a work in your days, a work which you will never believe, though someone should describe it to you. Habakkuk just described the work of the Chaldeans to um, his people. Now, what happened in Paul's day? Who was coming? Jews, repent, or something's going to happen that you won't believe. What was going to happen? The destruction of Jerusalem. Again. Back then in Habakkuk's day, it was the Babylonians destroying, demolishing the temple and the, and the walls of the city. I mean, it was, a, it was a disaster. You know, 70 years later plus, Nehemiah comes back, they rebuild the walls and everything. Well, 70 years in 70 AD, it wouldn't be 70 years, whenever Paul was preaching this. But, Rome was going to come down and was going to destroy Jerusalem. Did they do it? You better believe they did. Let me read you something. While God allows us to go through centuries, sometimes without much stir, every once in a while he brings a cataclysmic judgment or work about that, about that absolutely grabs your attention. Take the flood. He made an appointment. 120 years of patience, and then in just 40 days, he inundates the entire earth. He told Abraham his people would be in Egypt for 400 years, and he kept that appointment. He warned Lot, and Lot warned his sons that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and then suddenly, the whole place goes up in fire. Paul preached to the Jews in the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch in Acts 13. He quoted Habakkuk. This is how he concluded his message. He urged them to believe everything the prophets said about Messiah or they would experience an unbelievable judgment from God. Just 40 years after Israel rejected her Messiah, the thunder of horse hooves, the rattle of battle gear, the smell of smoke, the scorching of fire, the screams of Jews being massacred in Jerusalem by the ruthless Roman armies in ADs. Man, God answers prayers weirdly, strangely. By careless religious people, they don't understand it. By the world, Babylon thinks they're on their own. They have no idea they are in God's hands. They have no idea of that. Just like every world leader has no clue that there's a sovereign God in charge here. From their perspective, their strength is their God. We bow to no man. We bow to no God. We have our own gods. Interesting. And then by the prophet himself, back to verse 1, uh, I think I, by the world, they whose strength is their God, by the prophet himself, how long, O Lord, will you call? So, all right, let's, we're going to bring this to an end here.
Uh, concluding now with, we may not get to the last points, but verse, uh, so what? So what? First of all, having looked at this, Habakkuk, what are you doing, God? Who are these Chaldeans? Look how vicious they are. They're coming. Oh, my goodness. That's not what we asked for. <laughs> God answers prayers in strange ways. So what? Number one, history is under God's providential control. Back to verse 6. I am raising up the Chaldeans. I am raising up the Chaldeans. Every nation on earth is under the hand of God. God started the historical process. He is controlling it and He is going to end it. Let's never lose sight of that. As we hear the news, and we usually hear the bad news from the internet, from the news feeds and whatnot, but as we learn what's going on in our world, terrorism, epidemics, abuse, natural fires in California, right? I mean... And Hawaii, never forget, God is in control. God is sovereign. And all things are working out according to his plan. History number two follows God's sovereign plan. Not a whole lot of difference here, but events are not just accidental. Events are not just accidental. There is a definite plan of history. And it has all of history. Genesis 1 to the consummation. It has all been pre-written. It's all unfolding the plan of God. Now... You want to make sure you're on God's side. You want to make sure that you are in Christ. You ever, every once in a while, get hit by the reality of hell? I was sitting there this morning, and all of a sudden, Revelation 14, their torment goes up forever and ever. I thought, oh my goodness. People need to come to Jesus to have their sins forgiven. But God is in control. By the way, we're going to be getting close to Christmas here pretty soon. How do you see the, pro the sovereign hand of God in the Middle East at the time of Jesus coming? Just a couple of things. What's one thing that happened that fulfilled Scripture? Let me, let me, what was it? Yeah, the decree. The decree from Rome. Everybody has to go back. Mary and Joseph end up down in Bethlehem, right? See, this is the sovereign hand of God evident. It's not so invisible there. It's like the invisible hand of God made visible. You could go back earlier. What was happening with Alexander the Great when he conquered the, that ancient world and spread the Koine Greek throughout the lands in the Middle East? He spread the Koine Greek. 
Here comes the New Testament. It's in Koine Greek. Almost, it's the lingua franca of that area of the Middle East. Everybody can read Greek. Randy? Exactly. Once again, the hand of God through unbelieving, pagan, arrogant men, the, Rome, the Romans, paving roads, the Roman interstate system. <laughs> yeah. And the Pax Romana, the, the, very, the very fact of the armies of Rome maintaining peace, they, refu- you know, they would squelch any rebellion. This was good. This allowed the gospel to get out there. Now, later on, of course, they turn against the gospel and against Christians. But the point is the sovereign hand of God in all of history. Everything is pre-planned, pre-arranged for God to, as God is working out his plan. History, then, thirdly, is bound up with God's kingdom. Now, this is, this is a great truth. Because you, you look at history and you know people study history from a secular viewpoint or they have an economic theory of history and all these different things but we Christians we know who's in charge of history we know who's in charge of it and so we know that it's all somehow or other we we don't we don't know all the, we don't understand it all but we do know that there's a personal living sovereign holy righteous god powerful God who is causing all things to work according to the counsel of his will and it's all heading for the exaltation of the son of God Jesus Christ in history future and then his people his kingdom his people that's where it's all headed it's not just randomly spinning along and now we got North Korea. Now we've got, you know, China. They're acting up, and the Canadians, and what are they doing? And the Mexicans, and blah, blah, blah. What are they all doing? They're not outside of God's plan for the church. You know, I think this has, can feed into um, God. Paul said to us that we were to pray for our leaders. Why? Why pray for our leaders? They do, and 1 Timothy 2 says, so that the gospel can keep going. Pray for our leaders that we can have peace in the land so that the gospel can keep... So it's connected to the church. It's connected to the church. Let's see. If strange things are happening personally, instead of complaining, we should ask... (laughs) Okay, this is application, right? All right, is God in charge of my life? Is all this stuff that happens to me part of his plan? Yes, it is. It's part of his plan, no matter what it is. You got some kind of condition that you just found out about. Part of God's plan. What's it, why? Here are two questions. What is God teaching me through this? He's teaching me something every day. Number two, what is there in me that needs to be corrected? Because see, these Chaldeans are coming down. Jeremiah is a godly man. 
And these Chaldeans coming, Jeremiah's like living for Jesus, living for God there in Jerusalem. He's telling those people, hey, submit to these Babylonians. Submit to them. They're going, are you kidding me? We're not submitting to the Babylonians. Okay. God told them to submit. They didn't. And the Babylonians came in and, man, they did all kinds of crazy things. Let me real quickly go over those last ones. I think they're on your... Uh, uh, why doesn't God do something? Sometimes we wonder that. When you wish God would do something, remember, number one, God is doing something. <laughs> He's doing something. God's not taking a vacation. He's not like Baal off, you know, going to the bathroom or whatever. Mount Carmel. Yep, read it. Uh, God has a purpose, even through sin and wickedness. Even through sin and wickedness to bring Him glory. Wow. Where is God in our wholesale descent into moral filth in America? Where is God? Well, He has a purpose here. God will display His glory in judgment and in salvation. He has a bigger plan that He is working out, Romans 8.28. And bottom line, Jerry Bridges Trusting God. Trusting God. He's good, wise, and powerful. Good, sovereign, and loving. Trusting God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Habakkuk. Lord, really hard things there. Facing these wicked men, Lord. All designed by you to bring about repentance in the hearts even though people don't repent. Help us to draw near to you when things come. We know that you're in charge and you're working on our behalf, bringing all things for our good that we might grow and become more like you. Correct us where we need correcting. Draw us close to yourself, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen.